newsroom, Lester Smith reporting over WOR New York, your station for news as it happens. Stay tuned for Gene Shepard. Following this WOR 710 editorial, a statement of this station's opinion from WOR AM Vice President and General Manager Robert S. Smith. The New York Public Library, used by about 10,000 people a day, is facing a money crisis. Unfortunately, the first things likely to be cut because of that are services offered to the people who use the library. The staff may have to be reduced. Hours may have to be shortened. Some research collections might have to be closed down. The library is used by people from all over the metropolitan area. High school and college students, researchers, serious readers and casual borrowers. Its research facilities are among the greatest in the world. Without money, the library cannot afford to serve New Yorkers and others who depend on it and enjoy it. The library is now asking people to donate money. If it receives a half million dollars by the end of this month, it will receive a federal grant of another half million. Even with that money, the fiscal crisis will remain. Dr. Edward Land, the head of the Polaroid Corporation, recently reported he did much of the research on his instant photography process in the New York Public Library. In return for the profits gained from that research, it would be nice if Polaroid and other corporations who use the facilities contributed hefty sums to keep the library alive. It is up to all of us to keep the New York Public Library alive. Without the money needed to serve the people, the New York Public Library will become just a stack of dusty books. This has been a WOR 710 editorial. I'm Robert S. Smith.
that big record, Tony. Give me that big record. Once in a generation, a massive intellect arrives on the scene. Few men are privileged to stand in his monstrous, overpowering shadow. Yes, we are privileged in our time to have such a man among us. And now, here he is. The star of our show. <laughs> That's me, gang. <laughs> Hi, George. I'm glad to see you. It's uh, good to be here. Bring me on my salute music, please. All together now, gang. Let's sing. This is the self-expression rag. <laughs> You know what that man said there just a minute ago, Tony? Did you hear all that? That man was saying about the, you know, monstrous intellect arises among us on the occasion. That man was right. <laughs> Certainly delighted to be here. Well, I have come here tonight to give you a little relief from a problem that I'm sure is bugging many of you. And uh, I've written every known congressman. I've written every known senator. And I've written to all of them, see, everybody. I wrote to Johnny Carson, everybody. I am proposing a new national holiday. I am proposing it tonight, a new national holiday that will give great relief and be the source of great rejoicing among many secret sufferers. I am proposing a new national holiday. So, uh... Tony, would you please give me a little more of that impressive music? I think a little more of that to announce something as important as a new national holiday. Since time 
immemorial, man has celebrated ritualistic expiation from his sins. Every primitive tribe celebrates rites, rituals, and holidays, which gives them a momentary surcease from the darts, the arrows of unkind fates, and the snarling vengeance of the gods. <laughs> Hi, George. Never thought of it that way, did you, gang? <laughs> and so tonight, in deference and in recognition of one of the sneaky curses that has bugged many a person for a long, long time, we make the following proposal for a national holiday. To be known as Throw Away That Damned Unfinished Kit Day. Yes, right now, residing in a countless number of accursed closets everywhere within the listening audience. There are countless unfinished kits, ranging from half-finished airplane kits, partially completed plastic boat kits, build-your-own harpsichord kits, build-your-own uh, home winemaking kit, to, of course, innumerable Heath kits that were started by people who figured they could build their own color television set at home in their spare time. <laughs> Not realizing learning to build a color television set at home in your spare time is like learning to do a little brain surgery in your spare time. And what happens? Conscience. Conscience strikes out of the dark. After walking around and nudging people around you for weeks about how you got to get this new kit, you finally get it. You start to glue it together and you suddenly realize you ain't got no talent for gluing together plastic models of Napoleonic stagecoaches. And what do you do with this $14.95 kit? You hide it under your overshoes. In the closet, always saying to yourself, one day I'll get it out and <laughs> finish it. <laughs> and all the while it's gnaw on the back of your head. Every time you open up your closet to get out your tennis racket or your overshoes, what do you see sticking out of there? You see the wagon tongue of that Conestoga wagon you started to build. The model of that you bought in a moment of total nuttiness four years ago and it cost you $27.50. Bring it up, Tony. Don't, don't, don't lose it. That's good. You were just getting into the good part. No. That's it. Bring it up. I thank you. That's very good. Now, I suspect this would be a holiday that would be applauded by a lot of guys. And by the way, included in the national throwaway, that crummy unfinished kit day, you'd also include subsidiary issues like uh, throw away those 17 books you bought on how to play the guitar in five minutes, including, uh, you know, three colored uh, diagrams illustrating fingering positions <laughs> for all of Andres Segovia's fantastic chords. And, uh, you know, you just throw all that stuff out. Admit you're never going to learn to play the guitar. Throw it out. Get it out. You know, if everybody does it, then nobody would feel conscience-stricken. 
and there would be a big truck that was going around to pick it all up, see, from the, from the National <laughs> Destroy the Kit place. And you could give it to the Salvation Army and let the bombs down on, you know, the Bowery finish your model airplane kit of the Cunard Liner. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, I just wonder how many guys have got, and this is a male thing, I don't think women generally buy kits. Do you agree that's a male thing? Now, I'm not being anti, you know, I'm not being anti-female when I say that. I'm just recognizing, you know, what appears to me to be a fact. And I'm going to say that, the, you know, the woman's lib is going to become, you know, it's going to become a reality. When I see chicks walking around, let's say, on the uh, model train floor of, <laughs> of this toy joint over here on 32nd and 5th, you know, and uh, then I'll say, all right, they're with us, you know. The minute I see a lot of girls out there buying a, oh, a pre, uh, preamp kits uh, at, the, at the Heath, you know, or buying themselves a, a kit. Well, of course, these kits, you see, uh, this is part of man's basic desire to continually build something. You know, we, you know, they talk about the nesting instinct of the women. And this is true. Women have, or at least uh, up, they, uh, up to this point, have said they had. I'm not going to make any brash assumptions about this. They've got a nesting instinct, which is part of the maternal instinct, which nobody can do anything about. It's there, you know. It's a nesting instinct. So even if just two girls live together, they wind up, you know, making little funny lampshades with the uh, with the uh, ribbons on them, and they wind up painting the walls, you know. And they wind up hanging uh, French uh, carving uh, tools for, you know, meat carving on their kitchen. They hang up putting pots all over the place and the plants and all. This is a girl thing, you know, and it's a nesting instinct. And, you know, great, groovy, that's fine. I, I think they should do it. But men have a building instinct. It is, it, it's a building instinct. Now, they don't have an instinct that is related to sitting in a the nest. They want to build the nest and then split. Well, of course, this is an old established fact. It, it's just the way robins are. Do you know that? <laughs> oh, yeah, when uh, two robins will be frantically flying around, you know, building a nest. And, they, and the big, you know, big fat old male robin smoking cigars, you know, a real tough robin comes flying around. And he's yelling and hollering. What's he got? He's got a piece of string in his beak, see? He's building a nest. It's you know, nest time. So he's building a nest, and this female robin's running around, and she's got pieces of string and little pieces of straw. Pretty soon they got the nest. Okay? What happens? The female robin sits in the nest and says, All right, we got the nest. Okay? He says, Yes, we got the nest. Right. Well, groovy nest. Let's build another one down there. She says, No, this is the nest. We got the nest. The next thing you know, she's sitting on eggs. This is not exactly what the male robin had in mind. So she, <laughs> she's sitting on eggs, and pretty soon you got nine little robins going, rah, 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 rah. See, and now this robin says, oh, what have I done? She says, go on out and get some scoff for these robins. They're your robins. And so he's out there pulling out worms, you know, and now he's stuffing them into these little, you know, these little beaks. Rah, 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 rah. Who's sitting in the nest all the time? This chick, see. Uh, she's sitting there. She's making the nest even better. Well, then one day, when a couple of these little robins start getting smart with them, and they do, you know, the little robin now is sitting out on the edge of the nest, Daddy comes along with a worm, and the robin says, the little robin says, hey, get out of here, what a, what a caterpillar, forget it, you fink. Well, the next thing you know, the old man splits. That's the life of the robin. Now, do you think he, uh, <laughs> he's a nest builder. He's not a nest sitter-inner. That's different from the nesting instinct that involves sitting in the nest. And so this constant battle goes back and forth. And so, in this day of the matriarchal family life in America, what happens? 
the nest is built. The lady builds a nest out in Darien, see? And she's got little lampshades all over the place, you know. And she's got uh, all kinds of little funny uh, Russian pots hanging on the wall in the kitchen, you know, and little little uh, fiend johns and crouton boilers and all that stuff and egg warmers and bun warmers and pot warmers and toast warmers and crouton warmers. All this stuff is all around. It's so the old guy, you know, he keeps going back and forth to the city. See, he's building his thing. Well, all of a sudden, it's done building, right? <laughs> and now he's got 19 angry chicks in the nest. <laughs> The old man, you know, he says, I think the kids would love this. And he brings them home, you know, a, a folding uh, a folding motorcycle for beach use. He brings it home. And the kids says, I don't want that, Daddy. What I want is a new, uh, I want a Volkswagen camper. All the kids have got a new Volkswagen camper. They're all going to Kansas. And so the guy finally says, forget it, forget it. And he wants to split. You know, just like any normal male creature. He's built the nest, and now, you know, now they're all yelling at him. Have you noticed that everybody yells at fathers? <laughs> this is WOR, New York. Of course, where else? You wouldn't hear this in Cleveland. And uh, we have a little note here for you here. And uh, let's see, it's uh, Vat Le Champ. It's a restaurant. It says uh, that the commercial here begins. It says, announcer, to be read slowly, romantically. <laughs> Ah, there you are, at an intimate table graced by candlelight. The sounds of strolling, transistorized musicians create a mellow mood as you enjoy a sumptuous dinner prepared in the continental style. And then the instruction says louder and a little faster. No, you are not in the Parisian Café, but in the delightful Le Champ restaurant right in the heart of Manhattan on East 40th Street between the park and Madison. At Le Champ, you'll find not only the authentic French dishes, but also an international cuisine of exotic meat and seafood entree, as well as hearty steaks and the prime tender ribs, all at moderate prices. Then it says drop voice to intimate sound as you hit, and they underline it, hit the address. Le Champ, 25 East 40th Street, between Park and Madison. I repeat, Le Champ. Oh, it's a nice word to say. Try it yourself. Le Champ, 25 East 40th Street, between Park and Madison. <laughs> Here comes the strolling musicians. Come, my dear, we shall open the wide. Talk about some things which we should talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Get off my back. <laughs> we have here TAP, friends, the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal. And they have this fantastic youth fair, which I think you should listen carefully to. They're introducing a youth fair for only $210 round-trip economy. That, by the way, is about what the average bill at the average French restaurant here in town goes. So for only $210 round-trip... You can buy yourself an economy airfare ticket to Portugal. That's round trip, friend. And the ticket is good for one solid year. You can split for 365 days. Anyone under 26 and over 12 is available. What happened to the strolling musicians, please? In Portugal, you'll see all the kids from Europe, because that's where they go on their vacation. Go where the European kids go. You call TAP at 421-8500. Over the past 32 years, Newsday, the Long Island newspaper, has become one of the great success stories in publishing history. Recently, we started a Sunday edition. And what Newsday has done so well six days a week 
we're now doing just as well on Sunday. For example, our coverage of food. I'm Barbara Rader, food editor of Newsday. In our daily paper, we have a wide range of stories on food, including recipes and news for the food consumer. Now, on Sunday, we've added a great new element, color. Every Sunday, you'll find stories and beautiful color pictures in Newsday about the foods of Long Island. We tell you where you can buy them and how to cook them. We also show the kitchens of Long Island where they're prepared and the parties where tempting dishes are served. Sunday Newsday means we can do many new and exciting things for you in our coverage of food. Newsday, Long Island's own Sunday newspaper. No service charge for home delivery. But, uh, you know, speaking of this holiday, I notice a lot of you guys are getting excited. In fact, Tony, in the control room, he says, I got a kid at home. He says, I got a kid that's two years, you know, in the making. Or let's say two years in the moldering. <laughs> he says, I got one at home. And I wonder how many guys right now, this minute, have got a half finished. Not even a half. What do you mean half? I'm being very generous. They spent one night on it. Uh, maybe a half of a night. And, uh, you know, you start out with a great excitement of this project. And you realize that the thing is hard to do by the time... You know, and you, you see a picture. I, I'll tell you, one of the saddest ones I've seen is a friend of mine who saw in, the, in one of these magazines that has stuff like that, he saw a picture of a magnificent model, a fantastic model of a 19th century man-of-war ship. You know, beautiful, fantastic models. <laughs> and, and I'm not talking about the little cheapy kind that you buy with two little plastic things you hook together. See, this is a real ship model. Costs about forty-five bucks, you know, the, just for the, mo the, the just for the kit. See, so he got all excited about this, and he was going to build a ship model. See, and underneath, of course, they always say easy to build, fun, anyone can do it. Few simple tools. <laughs> yeah, like uh, mm, let's see, uh, a router, a lathe, uh, maybe an extrusion mold. Uh, you know, a lot, <laughs> a few simple tools. Depends on how you define simple. And so he, he got all excited, see, and he says, I've got to have that thing. And so he was going to be, he says, I can see where it's going to be now. He says, it's going to be right up there, see, right up there under that, uh, see, right over there, over the mantelpiece, see, and I'm going to put it right there, and I can just say, well, I always wanted a ship model. So he sends away for this thing. Well, there's a great big ship model arrives, see, <laughs> big, fat kit, $45 worth. That's a lot of, uh, you know, that's a lot of pieces of uncarved oak. So he gets this great big thing opens it up, and he discovers it really is a ship model. You know, it's not one of those things where you just glue it together in five minutes and you got this beautiful model of, uh, you know, old Ironsides. Not at all, friend. You build it just like any other ship model. Build it. See, the idea uh, that most kits really, uh, a good kit, I mean a good kit, I think you'll agree with me here, Tony, a good kit merely does what a model maker does when he's out buying materials. In other words, if you have a guy, let's say this old salt who lives in Camden, Maine, you know, this old, you always read about an old salt who retired from the whaling ships, and now he spends his, his remaining years of his life building the most beautiful ship models that the world was, by the way, a ship model, a beautiful ship model, is a genuine thing of beauty, really. I mean, a, a genuine thing. There can be nobody who doesn't like a beautiful ship model. In fact, uh, one of the things that I dig most about going up to Mystic, Connecticut, 
And if any of you have never gone up to Mystic, Connecticut, you really miss one of the groovy weekends in New York, really. And it's only about, what, two, three hours from here. It's about 75 miles, 80, 90 miles or something like that. You go right up the Connecticut Turnpike and you get up to Mystic and there you are, you know. And they have all these great old 18th and 19th century ships. The real things are sitting, you know, Charles W. Morgan is there, a whaling ship. They have a great restaurant and all that stuff there. And you walk around this place and... uh one of the great, to me, one of the great exciting things about that, they have some of the most unbelievable ship models I've ever seen in my life. Such fantastic models. And all types. You walk in these, you know, these buildings, they have them in glass cases. Wow. You can just see some guy has spent like 20 years building this. And I think these people should be recognized as artists, you know. <laughs> we don't recognize them. Today, an artist is somebody like you know, Andy Warhol. He turns out a painting in eight and a half minutes. Pow, you know? And uh, what does he get? Three grand for it. And everybody cheers him. He winds up on the cover of Life magazine all bit. Some guy builds a magnificent piece of work. And believe me, it is an art. It transcends artisanship at a certain point. A guy will spend like 25 years. Anybody who's ever really tried to build any really great models recognizes how rare really... Let's put it this way, talented model makers are. That's a rare talent, really. And so you see this fantastic model of, let's say, uh, a Spanish ship of the line. Uh, the only place you'll ever get close to ever seeing one of these, because you know, none of them actually exist anymore, you see, the actual thing. And these guys will build a model from the, from the original plans. They don't go out and buy it, you know, at FAO Schwartz and put it together. They'll build this thing, including every every last, like the little the little long boats that go on. You know, they'll carve these things out in absolute minute technical detail. And so, what you get really, you don't get a model when you get uh, one of these ships. You actually have a tiny version of the ship. You actually have the real ship, but shrunken down. They even make them with the with the. They don't build them, you know, out of a solid piece of wood. Most of them are great model makers. They use the ribs. <laughs> this is a hull that you got here. In fact, you, you want to hear the story of one of the great model makers of all time? There is a man who is genuinely a legend in, in the, among the model world. He's a genuine legend. He's English. And his field is creating absolute authentic models of great automobiles. Now, these have nothing to do with these things you see in the dime store. I mean, believe me, forget it. What he does, in fact, he even goes to the extent, when I say creating a model, what he's really doing is creating a tiny automobile that is absolutely authentic in every specific detail. Now, I'll give you an example. Uh, in the British Museum is an example that he has built of a great, uh, one of the great, Bugatti, or rather the great Bentley, the, the old great straight-eight Bentley, which is a great automobile of the late 20s, which raced in Le Mans and so on. The guy worked on this model for four and a half years. Now the the car is so authentic that he he got from he got from from uh, very obscure sources. He was able to get the uh, the formula that was used for the paint. That was yes, not the paint on the car. Now get this, friends, not the paint of the car, but the paint, the enamel that was used in the original Bugatti insignia that appeared on all cars of that type, regardless of the paint job of the car itself. 
So he created tiny insignia, which went on the on the uh, on the radiator. Also went on, I believe it in this case, it also went on the the spinner hubs. And uh, he he each wheel. Now the wheels in this particular car were made of, were wire wheels, and so each wheel he made specifically out of tiny steel hubs that he made himself and very carefully over long periods of time he actually made these wire wheels the same way that they would make them in the Bugatti plant originally and each spoke was tightenable you know how you could you could adjust the spokes on the on early wheels well each one this is an authentic work of art well this guy then uh, of course he, he became world-renowned for these fantastic cars and many people who have owned great cars, who own, let's say, a, an Indianapolis winner, a great car that has won three times at Indianapolis, would commission him to build a scale model of that great car. You know, so when the car doesn't exist any longer, here's a magnificent, absolutely authentic, detailed, beautiful model of the original car. Takes him upwards of a year or so to build from the original plans this model. Now that's art. I mean, t as far as I'm concerned, and to consider that artisanship is not the. I just say that that a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, people will be looking at these great ship models, because by then you see the art of ship making and ship modeling, and the uh, creating models will have co completely disappeared. I mean, it's it's a disappearing art, and for a number of reasons, but. Uh, I think these are beautiful. And of course, this is the urge that goes behind every man. Every ma Men have this urge to build a model. Well, this friend of mine got this fantastic ship model. See? <laughs> and it turns out that it requires talent, <laughs> which was a terrible rebuke. Because today, you know, the, the kits imply that it doesn't take talent to put these things together, you know. Well, I, I, I saw a sad one the other day. See, I have all my life, I've, been, I've built radios equipment radio and you have to have a certain talent for that as tony knows that 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 any engineer can tell you that 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 people who can build really build complex electronic equipment this this requires a specific talent it really does first of all it requires infinite patience it requires infinite care you have to take your time you have to know a lot of things, like you really have to know how to solder. A lot of people think they can learn to solder in five minutes. Forget it. <laughs> Forget it, friends. And, and, and so a couple of months back, I was called in on a case. We said, a guy bought a, a kit, a shortwave radio kit. You know, anybody can build it a few hours at night, you know. And underneath it, they even have the nerve to put the ten hours time to build what they mean, that's what it took an expert at our factory to do it for 10 hours. <laughs> that's like, you know, that's like reading, uh, you know, reading the uh, results of the Olympic trials. You know, it takes only 0.29 milliseconds to swim like this pool, and you figure you can do it. Oh, yeah? Well, I want to say that, uh, that this guy was a classic example. He had gotten his kit, see, and uh, there it was. He built it. He thought he built it, see. He put it together. That's what he did. And, of course, he plugs it in. He blows fuses for nine blocks around. His house catches on fire. <laughs> blows the tablecloth right off the table that the kid is sitting on. And he figures something's wrong with a kit, see. 
and uh, he tries everything. He won't, absolutely won't go. See, so he, he does what a lot of dildocs do, and they they hit it. You know, that's what they figure that you get it going by hitting it. See, so all right, that makes it even worse because of his soldering drip. Pow, pow, more sparks. Well, so ultimately, it winds up in the closet. See. <laughs> Well, now, the way he figured he could get out of this bit, the way he figured he could get out of it, see, was to give it away, quote, to the kids down the street. Well, I was called in by the kids down the street, <laughs> not by the original Dildock. And, and so when, when, uh, when I, uh, you know, I was visiting these people, and this, this fellow, you know, he had these two kids, and, and the, the, these kids are very interested in radio, but here they had this thing this guy had given them, see, this great shortwave radio kit. But it wouldn't work. Every time they plugged it in, you know, it blew up the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the fellow says to me, he says, gee, you know, we, could you take a look at it? He says, you know, the guy down the street that gave it to him, he knows a lot about electricity. You know, he really knows. Most guys think they do. Ho, ho, ho. Well, anyway, he, he says, uh, you know, the guy down the street, he, you know, he knows a lot about it, you know. But the, he says, some, some little thing wrong with it. And, the, you know, he didn't have time to play with it, quote. And so uh, he gave it to the kids. You know, it was in his uh, backyard, his closet for a couple of years. And so he gave it to the kids. Well, I know why he gave it to the kids. This thing, this thing was like a wart on the top of his head with a conscience. Every day he'd open the closet, there stares in his face the radio dial. See? So anyway, and he had no, he had no idea how to get it going. So I went into the bedroom there and I says, "You got a soldering iron?" Well, yeah. So uh, I, they, find, they finally found the soldering, and nobody in the family knew how to use it. So I finally got the soldering iron out. I got about five, you know, screwdrivers, a pair of pliers. I got a wire cutter and all that. Of course, they didn't have the diagram right from the start. Oh, no, no, nobody has the diagram. Generally, they think the diagram, you know, throw it away when you finish wiring it, see. Oh, ho, ho, ho. So uh, I, I, I says, well, you got, the, you got the schematic? What? I says, well, the schematic. He says, oh, you mean the thing that plugs in the back? I mean, yeah, they got that other box. It plugs in the back. I says, no, that's the speaker. <laughs> the schematic. What's your oh, schema? What is schematic? I said, forget it. All right. So I, I I go to work, you know, using what knowledge I have of receivers, you see, which is incidentally considerable after a lifetime building them. So I I I take off the the the, the basic cabinet. See, oh, I couldn't believe it. This guy used solder the way other people use silly putty. I mean, there were big globs of solder all over the place. Everything was shorted. <laughs> Everything. So I started to rebuild this thing, see, right from scratch. You remember that? I started at the front. I did systems analysis. Any of you guys know anything about systems analysis? If you've ever been an ex-radar repairman, you know you don't even try to get it working. You start right from the beginning, and you work each stage down. You clear up each stage, stage by stage. You start out with the RF amplifier right at the beginning. In fact, you start out with the plug, the binding post for the antenna, and you work your way back, see? And after about seven hours of work, I work myself all the way down. Now I am down to the last bit, see? I have taken out at least 7,942 boo-boos. He didn't know one end of an electrolytic from the other, plus and minus meant nothing to him. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. And he figured, you know, if you couldn't quite stretch the, the resistor to go to pin R or pin 9 on the tube socket, you, so, you, you put it on 8. You see, that's closer. So, anyway, I mean, what, you know, 8, 9, they're close together, you, you know. So I don't want it to work perfect. Well, anyway... 
So anyway, I got I finally worked this thing down to the down to the basic end, say all the way down. And I, I had I, I I worked my way down through the power transformer, and now I'm working on the power cord. Finally, the end. I discovered, you see, not only had he had he done it all the way, he even took the power cord. You know where it says put the two things in there. He put them on one thing. No wonder it was blowing up every time he plugged it in. So I fixed that. There we sit. I said, "Well, you ready to try it?" And immediately the guy, you know, who lived in his house, he hid under the day bed because every time they plugged it in, you know, it blew up the house. The toaster once hit his wife in the mouth when they plugged it in. See? So I says, all right, everybody get out of the rope. So I plug it in, and of course, instantly, it plays like a dream. Oh, did it work, see? <laughs> and I thought to myself, I'll bet that guy that originally bought that kit, I'll bet it would burn him up to see his kit working now. I bet he would really flip he wanted back. <laughs> well, anyway, I learned a lesson then about kit makers at that point. And uh, I, it's, a, it's a lesson that I have, uh, I have thought of for years. How much time do I have, baby? Quick. All right, eight minutes, roughly. Well, you know, I want to tell you about kits. And, and since we have this new... Uh, Nick, don't worry about it. Don't worry. Sit down. Since... Uh, since we, you know, uh, are, are dealing now with this, with this new, uh, this, and I think it's a fantastic new, uh, new holiday. Nick, you just came in. We just changed engineers. I want to tell them what happened here, Nick. We have just proposed a new national holiday, uh, an important holiday, as opposed to, you know, trivial ones, like sitting around eating turkey and that stuff. I'm talking about a holiday to mean something. Every year we're going to have a holiday called, and it's a moratorium, really, Throw out that unfinished kit day. <laughs> you like that? In other words, where everybody, if we all do it together, then nobody would have a conscience about it. You know, throwing out that half-finished harpsichord kit. Uh, you know, throwing out that plastic model of the, of the uh, Queen Elizabeth II kit that you didn't do. And so we're going to let everybody on this day put the kit out in front of his house and a truck at 4 o'clock in the morning... You know, we'll go and quietly pick up all the uh, books on how to play the guitar. So you can throw that out, too. You know, how many guys have bought a book on how to play a guitar? They bought a $12 guitar. And for now, two and a half years, this guitar has been in the basement. And he's been threatening to learn how to play it. Well, you can throw the guitar out, the unfinished harpsichord. Uh, also, you can throw out, uh, uh, for example, uh, that kit that you tried to build one time of how to build the uh, color television set. And it blew up the front of the house when you plugged it in. You can throw that out. I mean, the whole bit. And I think it's going to make a lot of people happier. Men, anyway. And then you can start out again. See, within the next week, you're going to be walking down the street. And you're saying, you know, I think I'm going to... Gee, did you see that thing? You know that you can build a, an absolute scale model of a Bugatti. It's a magnificent scale model. I'm going to buy one of those things. And, you know, it only says on the cover, you know, two hours. So you can build it in two hours. Anybody can build it. Use no tools. You know, that kind of thing. Use simple tools that we all have. No problem at all. Simple tools. Well, uh, I, I, I think this is a, you know, it's a, it's a real hang-up with a lot of guys. And the men, men especially have a building. Well, you, you know, I'm going to tell you one of the funniest ones I ever saw. A guy got hung, because you, you can get hung on this stuff, and you make a fantastic investment, and then by the time you make the investment and you start doing it, you get tired of it. And there you got this junk sitting in a basement. Well, you know that I knew a guy, oh, it's a funny bit. I mean, it was funny to me, but it wasn't funny to him. Do you know that there is a hobby called home amateur bookbinding? 
You didn't know about that one, did you? Well, this guy, you know, he's sitting around. He's got a lot of books in his house. You know, he's got a lot of his, his complete collection of uh, Fu Manchu. He's got, uh, you know, very deep stuff. He's got a, his complete collection of James Bond books and all that stuff. See, So he's sitting around at home one night, and he's looking at a magazine in the back of the cover, you know, where they've got all the silly putty stuff in the back. You know, it says, uh, you know how all, all hip magazines have got this little bunch of uh, of uh, classifieds quote in the back, like, uh, do you want to send your kids to a real progressive school? You know, that kind of right progressive school, right thinkers. Atterbury, Vermont. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, do you want your children to grow up in a truly integrated uh, neighborhood, in a truly integrated world? Send your name and address to uh, Happy Hooligans, uh, Box 22. Uh, you know, these little things in the back. Uh, have you ever wanted to take up Belgian lace making? At the, yes. So my friend is sitting there, and, and they catch you off guard, see? They catch you when you're at your at your most vulnerable. And this friend of mine is sitting there. He's kind of half crocked, you know, and he's uh, he's had a couple of, you know, a couple of slugs of Jack Daniels, and he's sitting around, he's feeling effusive, and he's keep, guys keep thinking to themselves, you know, one of the current problems with men is they keep saying, I gotta get a hobby. <laughs> That's a current problem, see, because other guys seem to have these great hobbies. Other guys are really dedicated to their boat, you know, and you go out twice on a boat, and it's forget it. To me, this boat thing's never done it to me, you know, and so, other guys are dedicated to golf. Five minutes on a golf course, you realize it's a bunch of guys hitting a little ball into a pot, you know? And you say, what is this, all this business of hitting balls in the pots? I don't need this. And then, the skiing cuckoos. You go to the skiing cuckoos and you say, what? Well, you know, five minutes later, you realize it's a bunch of guys riding around up and down the hills with sticks on their feet. What is this, you know? You go up and down three hills, you've seen them all. So, forget it. Well, and yet some guys are dedicated. And you say to yourself, i got to be dedicated. The trouble with you, something is wrong with your head. You're not dedicated to nothing, you klutz. Well, you are fair game. Once you start saying that to yourself, man, the next thing you know, you've got a whole bookbinding kit in the basement. My friend is sitting home reading the National Review or he's reading uh, uh, the New Republic. or You know, what? they've got all that kind of stuff, like build your own harpsichord in these magazines, see? Because the, the other people, only intellectuals fall into this stuff. See, the other people are too smart. Average Aki Diltak is not going to say, yeah, I'm going to build a harpsichord. You know, his idea of a big night is to go to the A&W root beer stand, you know, drink some root beer, you know, or go down to the Rizzuto bowling alley and get in a fight. And, uh, you know, you don't bring that home. But, you see, your conscience often makes you do it. So my friend is sitting at home. He's reading his, uh, you know, his New Republic or something. And he sees all his bookcases around. And, you know, here's here's the crummy-looking cover to James Bond stories and stuff. So there's a little line that says, The new hobby among the in people, the really literate people, is home bookbinding. Wouldn't you love to have your books bound in cordoban leather? Wouldn't you like to have all your treasured volumes... Treasured volumes. Wouldn't you like to have all your treasured volumes bound in cowhide and steerhide? Save up to $500 a book on doing it at home. Send for free information and a kit. Well, within two weeks, this guy has pots of glue. He's got uh, cowhide stretchers. You know, you get cowhide stretchers. He's got things that you use to shave the back of cordovan leather. He's got the whole stick, see. So he starts out and he finishes one book after two and a half weeks of unbelievable work. And you know what the book looked like when he was finished? An old football. And you could see the glue dripping out of the bottom, see? 
So he tries another one. He figures he's used the wrong letter. This time what he's going to do, he's going he's to bind one, you see, in watered silk. You know? Well, you know what it looked like when he finished with that one? Are you curious? Huh? It looked like somebody left their purse out in the rain for two and a half weeks. And, you know, and five or six trucks have run over it. So here he's got it. Shee. Well, all right. I don't have to tell you the end of it. He's got $150 worth of book binding equipment in the basement. So one day, in a fit of reality, when he was gone off to work after that stuff was in the basement for two years, his wife called the Salvation Army. They gave it to the poor people. And the poor people are going to love to find, you know, their copies of uh, the Daily News and Cordovan Leather. <laughs> so, we're debating as to what day we're going to make this national, you know, throw out all the kits day. Clean out your mind, friends. Get rid of all the problems that are bugging your conscience. This is the stuff that really bothers the average guy's conscience. You don't think the fact that Mississippians and flames bothers the average guy. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's got bigger fish to fry. Bigger fish. And by the way, you know, you can take up fish frying as a hobby. Now, I'll tell you where I can get you a kit, friends. W.O.R. New York, next, Lester Smith and the News. This is the news in detail on the hour from the W.O.R. Newsroom. A police officer was accidentally shot by a fellow patrolman in Harlem tonight. The wound is described as superficial. Officer Frederick Sullivan and his partner from the West 126th Street Station House responded to a call for assistance from another team that had reported a sniper in a building at Riverside Drive on 142nd Street. They entered the building but separated. Sullivan found a gunman in an apartment, subdued him after a struggle, then broke a window to notify police below that he had the man. At the sound of the breaking glass, another patrolman fired and hit Sullivan in the belief that he was the sniper. By a 13 to nothing vote with the United States and Panama abstaining, the U.N. Security Council late tonight condemned Israel for its attacks last week on Lebanon and the taking of a number of high-ranking Arab military officers as prisoner. Resolution asked that the officers be released, and if they were not, the Council will, as we quote the resolution, reconvene to consider further action. United States Ambassador George Bush said this country was abstaining because in its view, the resolution was not fair and balanced. By that he meant, how about the release of Israeli prisoners in return? A truce is in effect in Northern Ireland, but will it work? Hours after the ceasefire became official, a British Army spokesman declared, there's still a lot going on. Only two minutes before the midnight truce, a British soldier was shot dead. Earlier, another soldier and a policeman were killed. Nine civilians were wounded. The lifting of quotas on meat imports by President Nixon is getting a ho-ho-ho from cattlemen and meat packers. They don't think the move will reduce prices in the local market, and in fact they think it may have a reverse effect, may send the prices even higher. John Trotman, president of the National Cattlemen's Association, expressed disturbance at the president's action, and the same by the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, William Cupis, but what it really boils down to is how much meat will be available from the other countries. Many of them, and this is the significant point, face meat shortages themselves. 
Fidel Castro got a warm welcome on his arrival in Moscow today. He was greeted by the Soviet names that count, Brezhnev, Kozygin, and Podgorny. The four went into immediate conference, and according to TASS, the conference, and we quote, passed in a fraternal and heartfelt atmosphere. Direct report from Moscow, Chris Ogan reporting. Leonid Brezhnev gave him a bear hug and kissed him on both cheeks. Nikolai Podgorny and Alexei Kosygin kept pounding him on the back. Cuba's Fidel Castro is back in Moscow for the first time in eight years. And on one of the hottest days of the year, 100,000 Muscovites turned out to give the bearded premier an equally warm welcome. <laughs> the visit is the last stop on Castro's two-month swing through Africa and Eastern Europe. The Soviets termed it a friendly official visit, but Castro has plenty of political fences to mend with his host. Upset over their backing down during the 1962 missile crisis, Castro flirted with Peking in the mid-1960s. That rankled for years. Soviet trade with other Latin American nations also upset the Cubans. The Russians weren't very pleased with Cuba's constant demands for money. Today's bear hugs seem to bring the reconciliation closer. Chris Ogden in Moscow. And we'll have more news in just a moment. Right now, General Tire is having a pre-4th of July sale on the famous General Jet White Wall Tire. Listen to this. During this great sale, you can buy a complete set of four tires for only $59.80. That's for popular size 650-13 plus 175 federal excise tax for tires. Larger sizes, also sale price. This long mileage tire has four full plies of nylon cord, famous dual tread design, and slim white wall stylus. It's a tough new generation of change.